Hey, I'm Matt Quinn, and you're listening to Decision Point from Ivy Publishing at the Ivy Business School. Thanks for joining us for the final episode of Season 1. Today we revisit another classic case, Eli Lilly in India, Rethinking the Joint Venture Strategy, authored by Charles Donaraj, Paul W. Beamish, and Nikhil Selly. Eli Lilly and Company is a leading U.S. pharmaceutical company. Together with India-based Rambixi Laboratories Limited, the two embarked on the creation of a joint venture that would go on to last a decade, becoming the 46th largest pharmaceutical company in India in a market with well over 10,000. Today, we sit down with Charles Donaraj, a professor and chair of the Department of Management at Daniels College of Business at the University of Denver. Donaraj reflects on his case writing journey with Eli Lilly, teaching joint ventures through the case method, and more. Enjoy! So Charles, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're busy. I'm really looking forward to this conversation about the case and all of your experience around cases. So let's start with uh, the case itself and the protagonist. Could you set up for listeners what's at stake in the case for Dr. Tallarigo, Eli Lilly's new president of intercontinental operations? Could you talk about what's really on the line here? Yeah. First of all, thank you so much, uh, Matt. My pleasure indeed to join this. This is a fascinating uh, term, what do you call an effort that you're putting together. So uh, I'm sure it will help a lot of faculty. So going back to the Lily, like the, uh, see Dr. Tarigo's uh, challenge at that point. In fact, I have to tell you, when we started writing that case, we wanted to write about how to drive an effective joint venture, right? So the the whole thing that this was even at the point of uh, uh, cutting off was not even in our horizon when we started developing the project, right? But then as I started getting the, so I approached the company, I said, hey, I would love to do this. And uh, when we started developing the storyline, then I come to know that, in fact, they were going through the process of considering a breakout. And we need to rethink. So in essence, the whole thing was a different. So when you when you uh, at that point, if you if you take if you put yourself in Talarico's position, here is a very uh, what's what's called a very successful joint venture because uh, Lily got a lot out of uh, the partnership, and Ranbaxi got a lot out of this partnership. So a very successful joint venture. But then over time, things have changed dramatically. The institutional context has changed. Organizational capabilities have changed. So, to what extent is the joint venture creating value? So that is why we we framed it as rethinking the strategy. So, so in fact, it was actually the challenge for the, the Dr. Talari were like, hey, what do I do with this joint venture now? If I break off, it will sound like such a bad omen to my India strategy. If I keep continuing, I'm not getting uh, much of a the value. So what do I do with that? So, and this challenge is an ongoing challenge, right? To me, uh, whether you are talking about it in 2000 or 2020, or perhaps in 2025, the challenge of change in the environment and ramp up in organizational capability, both of these things position a partnership under duress. So you can't have a, what I call a static partnership and how do you think about it in as a dynamic entity? And that's the challenge that Talarika faced. 
And it's so relevant to many different companies and, and types of organizations. And that's where I want to go next, because I know that you've got a relationship with the company. How did you originally connect with them? Uh, you know, I'm from India, right? So uh, when I read it, in fact, it came up in the papers about this joint ventures. And then I am a fresh, uh, newly uh, minted assistant professor at uh, Indiana University. And Eli Lilly is just like, a, I have to drive past Lilly every time when I go back from home to, uh, from my office to home. So when I saw that in paper, I said, I need to do something about this uh, because uh, I just has, have finished my thesis on joint ventures. So we had a professor who's, uh, who was a lawyer, legal studies professor, who had a husband who was with Lily. So, so I walked up to this professor's uh, room and I said, hey, uh, your husband is working in Lily. Would he be willing to talk to me about this joint venture? Mm -hmm. That's how the whole thing started. And uh, lo and behold, uh, we connected with him and, and he said, you know what, I'm not the best in this uh, area, but I'll tell you the guy who is writing the contract for this joint venture, you should talk to him. So Ricky Pate was the guy who was writing the contract for the joint venture. He was the legal expert for Eli Lilly. He was the, heading the legal team for, for Lilly. And he was put in touch with, with me and we arranged for a lunch and that the rest is history. In fact, even as of today, 24 started. We started it in 1999, the project, like 2020. Uh, I'm now a good friend with uh, Lily, uh, with Lily and this Ricky Pate had been instrumental in connecting me with so many people. That's how it started, uh, Matt. Yeah, that's such a great story. And it illustrates how, you know, sometimes it's just reaching out and asking questions for authors that are thinking, how the heck do I get started? It's sometimes just those personal connections or just reaching out and asking and, you know, developing. It's so great to hear that you've got that relationship 21 years later and have, you know, a few years later in, in 07, you wrote another case on the company. Was there anything that you could think to share with our listeners what the keys to success were for keeping this relationship so strong over such a long period of time? What did you do to, to foster that? That's, in fact, uh... I wrote a piece on case writing as academic scholarship. Because there's a fundamental question in, in research faculty. Why would I even write a case when it is not going to be counted for my tenure? Uh, one of the rationale for case writing I, I put there is the building the relationship. Right? Case writing allows you to build a relationship with, a, with, a, with an organization. And then when you teach the case, the guy comes over to the guy or the lady who comes over to the class. And then once they come to the class, they, they build a rapport. And then that leads you to a series of uh, next few steps. Let me take the story of Lily. Uh, so we started as a joint venture case study. And we connected in 2001. But by the time we finished the project, it was 2004, right? So it, was, it took, took me a fair amount of time because as we... We started interviewing, it has gone through multiple phases. And uh, so in a sense, I, I fairly knew the history when it was at the peak and as it went through the multiple stages. Right? And then we finished the case and uh, it became a, one of the bestsellers. But then internally, it allowed me to connect to all the different. Once I knew Dr. Talarigo, then Talarigo wanted me to meet with the CEO and then then we, we met with, the, they had a very strong alliance management team. So we started working with the alliance management team. And in fact, 
that got us a National Science Foundation uh, contract. In fact, uh, we we did an NSF research grant from uh, on on alliance management with Lily as a, what I call as the in kind partner. Right, so that that set a huge uh, momentum on my research, mm-hmm. and we wrote a few uh, follow on cases with that. And not only that, uh, it sort of allowed me to develop a a, a, a picture and and a, and a map of partnership strategies in a way I could not have done on my own, uh, crunching the data set. I really like how you use that word partnership because you're meeting lots of people at the organization. You're finding different ways to to work with them. You've written a number of different cases. I think you mentioned as well that you have used and had folks from the company come in to the to the classroom as part of the teaching. Have you done that? Yeah, yeah. In fact, um, we during these last twenty years, there had been uh, three uh, three CEOs, uh, Sydney Torrell, followed by John Lechleiter, and followed by uh, David. And all the three CEOs had shown up in my class. Wow! It must be it must be so great for them to see the case uh, come to life in the classroom, yeah. and 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 again, such a great way to build that relationship with not only the organization but individuals there. That's so great for for authors that are just starting to think about, you know, how can you get the folks featured in the case into the classroom, whether it's now via video, Zoom calls, that's great. And yeah. and from what I've seen, people are willing to do that, really willing and, and interested to see how students navigate the case. That's very cool. Yeah, actually, I'll give you an anecdote on this. Uh, in the case, we feature one of the guy who's the head of, at that particular time, he was the uh, CFO for one of the joint ventures in uh, one of the partnerships in uh, in Mexico, and uh, but uh, ten years after he calls me up, uh, just out of the blue, he said, "Guess what? I'm in Spain. I'm meeting with this uh, with this uh, some executive, and he said he just did a, a case in about Eli Lilly in uh, in his executive program at IAC, and." He saw the name, he in the sense that this guy's name, uh, the Mexico CEO's name. So that is how they, even those, the references in the case, because we are putting the real names and the real titles, and it sort of makes a lot of meaning for those people who are appearing on the case. So yeah, it makes a lot I of agree. Uh, meaning for them. Oh, that's great. Now, I want to I wanna ask you a few questions technically about, uh, you know, how you and your co-authors you know, thought through the learning objectives and planning of the case early on. So you've got the relationship, you've got the story idea. How did you, did you sit down and, and discuss learning objectives or did they come out through the process of writing the case? It, it evolved over time. See, Paul was my advisor, as you know, right? And then joint venture, we had, uh, in fact, I wrote two cases with Paul, one on uh, Samsung, another one was on IPC, but none of them with joint venture. So when I finished my thesis on joint venture, I wanted to have a case on joint venture. So when this came up, uh, Paul, was, well, Paul was ecstatic because he said, yeah, that's a, that's a, that sort of scores as a company to work with, let's, uh, let's go after it. So we originally planned, okay, how to develop a working joint venture? How do you uh, develop a, a decent working joint venture? But then as we started interviewing and as we moved through the phases, then we realized this is coming apart. Uh, so, so the learning objectives changed. 
And then as we start the teaching, in fact, you know that there's a, there are two versions of the teaching note, teaching note version one, teaching note two. So we realize that you can do more than just about joint venture strategy. You can talk about dynamics of an organization. So to some extent, as we taught, the learning objectives evolved. And uh, the case had enough material in that. So to some extent, uh, uh, I think we put a reasonably tight case, but also enough information that, that allows one to go back and forth. See, the problem most of the uh, joint venture cases have is they don't connect you to the broader corporate strategy, right? And uh, so the, this, this case in particular connects you to that two levels. The, you can't think about a joint venture absent the broader corporate uh, strategy. So that that way, this case allowed it uh, very well. Yeah, so it, it evolves. That's great. Uh, yeah, and and one thing I want to reinforce is your willingness and your co-author's willingness to be flexible and to take and and almost let the case guide you as you as you went through the writing uh, and and you know ideas evolve, etc. And for those listening, the Paul whom you mentioned uh, in the discussion, that's Dr. Paul Beamish, who's um, who is a, a leader at the school and internationally in case writing and, and case teaching and a, uh, who has been a great mentor of, of Ivy Publishing through many, many decades, actually. So that's the Dr. Paul Beamish who we're speaking of uh, today. So thanks yeah, for mentioning him because yeah. he's, he's great. And then I also tell like the, uh, the case was uh, held up for some time. In fact, we knew where we want to go. The case was written and I had taught it for uh, at least two years, uh, two consecutive years, but I had not published it because we didn't have a teaching note. So it was at that time we had to bring in one more uh, co-author to help us to get it to the finish line. So Nikhil came in very handy. Nikhil was a doctoral student at the time and he was finishing his work and he said, hey, uh, here is one, can you help us to finish it out? So so he took all my teaching notes and then got the tear. Otherwise, this wouldn't have finished, right? The point I'm trying to tell your audience is sometimes you need to bring in partners when uh, you want to get to the finishing line because you may have a fantastic story, good to teach, but it, at, the, at the end of the day, crafting the write-up and stuff needs uh, work and uh, you need to find co-authors who can come in and work with you to get it to the finishing line. Otherwise, we have a lot of cases that are, that are not done <laughs> and, and just in the desk. And that's such such great advice. Don't overlook the opportunity to bring in help and, and other expertise. And you mentioned teaching the case, and it's been a bestseller uh, for, for many years. Have there been any challenges or surprises to you or your colleagues as you've brought this case to life in the classroom? Any big surprises? Not so much of a, a surprise, but it, I mean, we discovered a lot more how to teach. In fact, uh, when we wrote the case, we never thought about uh, role plays and uh, all this dynamics. But now when I teach it, I use role plays and stuff like a Lily, Lily team versus Ranbaxi team and how they, how they can uh, meet together, creating a, what I call a final negotiation. Okay, what should be the takeoff points and stuff. So those were interesting. The, uh, the biggest surprise to me was... Uh, how well it was taught by faculty who have not been through the case. I mean, uh, when, you t when you see your case being taught in a manner in which you come out and say, wow, that's an interesting one, right? 
So when I in fact one of the uh, the reason that we wrote the second teaching note was when I saw people teaching the case, I said, ah, this is uh, I wrote it as a sign-off case in the sense, uh, JV, uh, how do we bring a joint venture to a close? But then as I saw people teaching it, I saw them teaching it as how does the joint venture evolve, the stages of the evolution in a joint venture? How do you lead a joint venture? I mean, these were themes that we never thought when we were writing the case. So these things, it was a surprise to me how people were able to use the same case and uh, and teach it on a on a stretch it on multiple friends. So we came up with the teaching note too. The the other one was the video. The the when I developed the video at that point, the video was not that common in most of our our, our casework. And uh, I had a very good partner at Indiana, Jim, who was a phenomenal videographer. And we basically got, I mean, this was some, one of those uh, tricky things when how do you get senior executive to show up in a video and, and talk about some of the things that, uh, that we had gone through. So, so all those were uh, elements of learning that added uh, the attractiveness to the case. So I want, I want to talk a little bit about that. As you, you mentioned video, uh, and sometimes it is a challenge to you know, get senior leaders to feel comfortable with that. Any tips for those that are trying to work with uh, senior leaders? What did you do yeah. uh, to make that happen? Yeah, you need to have an internal champion. See, Ricky Pate turned out to be an internal champion for me. Uh, so you need a powerful person who who has access to the senior executive, but who may not be the, the content expert. But if you can have very strong personal rapport and uh, a good friendship with that person, he or she can drive through anything within the company. And, and that strategy has worked for me for all my other cases with Cummins or anything else that we wrote. So I, I always make it a point to make sure that we have one internal champion who can help you. Because a lot of times uh, when it comes to uh, signing off, organizations are discovers, right? So anything small, they think too much. For example, in the Lily case, for example, uh, in the teaching note, you will find some of the the breakoff uh, values and all that stuff, like how, how much money uh, Lily paid to run back and stuff. Whereas the organization thought it was a secret, uh, they cannot reveal. And I, I found there was a press release of the actual data. So, so mm. sometimes organizations are too... Uh, to discover, so they are very. Uh, they want. They don't want to say anything that is too sensitive, right? So it is there at those points when you need an internal champion who can tell you, okay, Doctor uh, Taladigo may not uh, speak on video on this value, but then why don't you take this reference and take check it out? So yeah, to so have you need, somebody you need guide, a champion, yeah. yeah, yeah, to work through to have somebody guide you. The, yeah, and the and the legal stuff is a pretty big. Uh, Big one, like for example, I I did not do that in one case when I when I worked with Rolls Royce. We had a fantastic case uh, we developed, and unfortunately, the CEO had uh, moved on, and I didn't have an internal champion absent him. And the new CEO came in, and he saw the case, and he said, "Oh, it's like uh, too sensitive data and stuff." So, without the internal champion, it's very hard to get a good case out. So. Focus on the best internal champion and, and treat them very well. 
and earn his or her confidence, then you have your. That's such such great advice, and it does. You know, that speaks back to you know how did you maintain the relationship through all these years, like maintaining those champions, getting to know the culture of the organization, etc. Now, I want to shift slightly because before we we were on the the call here, we were chatting briefly about you know new case method uh, initiatives. You know, given that we're working remotely, our courses are going digitally. Are there other initiatives or movements that you see in in case method that you're that you're excited about, or you're starting to dig into yourself? Yeah. See, the first thing, I, at least uh, for me, uh, my own learning and the one I, I share with my faculty is they are not isomorphic in the sense uh, you cannot just uh, replicate the same uh, methodology in the virtual media, right? When you have bodies present, there is a what I call the psychosocial energy that is out there in a classroom that is not, that is absent in a virtual media. You have all the 25 faces on the video, but, but then there is something about the body language, the, the air we breathe that, that's in the classroom, where one corner of this uh, classroom, a statement from one student from one corner of the classroom can resonate with another student in another, another corner. But in a virtual medium, that's absent. So you have to recognize that psychosocial dynamics is absent in the virtual medium. But you have something more that you can do, something different that you can do in the virtual. So to recognize them as two different genres is number one. Number two is in a in a in a case case media in a typical case class. In fact, I have run case uh, case teaching workshops and stuff. I tell this focus like a Okay, have these uh, questions. Okay, what is your pastor one question? What is your pastor two question? What is your pastor three question? So we teach our teachers to think in terms of series of questions and then allow the questions to generate the discussion, right? Now, and when I see faculty doing the same thing on the virtual media, it's, it, it, it falls apart, right? Okay, what do you think? Uh, what should this... Should this be a plus or minus? And then they go versus that. So, so how do we? So the, the 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 solution to that is bringing in structure, right? Now, in a typical case, uh, we do this what I call a board structure, and sort of we put this. I mean, uh, I think you are familiar with that, Matt. I think Ivy, we drill it down to death. We say, okay, what should be the board structure and stuff. So use the board structure to create the flow for your uh, for your uh, class now in fact I, I i use the in fact i use steven spielberg so you have to think like steven spielberg not as a professor so how do you get this these are a series of uh, moments that are coming in so you think about choreographing choreographing the session so you in fact uh, in a in a virtual medium the first 5 minutes matter a lot right you can't just uh, start the case discussion in the same way we do in a physical medium, right? The, the, psycho, uh, the psychosocial dynamics is absent. So the first five minutes is going to be very important. And that setting them up for the pre-work is also going to be important. So how do you connect the asynchronous and the synchronous in such a way that the takeoff will be smooth? So very clear uh, assignment questions and a very clear uh, 
pre-work will make the discussion much more interesting, right? And then the use of the third one is the use of breakouts. People use breakouts, but what they think is you just tell them to do something and then they break out and they come back. And and that that, that falls apart. Actually, when you put them off into breakouts, you literally the energy goes down and then you never reclaim it when you when they come back, right? So you have to find a way to to make breakouts as energizing events. The only way you can do it is you need to find the, the, the what I call the sensitive uh, point. I mean the the tricky point. It has to be it has to be what you call uh, it has to have enough uh, push and pull in the sense the question that you are leaving with should not be an s no question. It has to have reasonable argumentation for both sides to talk about it. And then number two, it should also have a a clarity so that they can come back and communicate. If it is too complex, it will be all over the map. So so you should, for example, I, I like one of Peter Killing's case where he says, okay, on a scale of one to 10, where would you put this, uh, put the complexity of this issue, right? And I, he gives, okay, one, anybody can do it, 10 only other season and phenomenal leaders can do it. And then he puts number five, even a professor can do it. So just to uh, put a humor into it. So, but then that that quantification allows these students to debate. But then when they come back, they say, "Okay, my number is seven, right?" And that allows multiple groups to connect and and create. So you need to you need to have a way in which designing the group, breakout groups, which I think we don't have enough training or enough inputs on that. So those are some things. And then the final one is the the landing part. People. Don't under, they underestimate the landing, the, the role of the landing. In a typical case discussion, we, we do the wrap-up discussion and then put the slide and stuff. So how do you how do you land a virtual class and synthesize some of what has gone on? So using the whiteboards that are being created during the stuff, uh, and then walking through, okay, here are the three whiteboards we went through. And this is the takeaway. And this is the so that is important because when people abruptly land the plane, because oftentimes, oh my God, two more minutes. Okay, uh, next week, uh, and then they, they, so the whole uh, learning gets frittered away. So I, I always say, think about when you do the class, there are these all these molecules of learning that they emerge. But if you don't pull them and seal them, by the time they come to the next class, they fritter away. So mm-hmm. that that landing part is important. So those are the three things. Uh, I think we need to do something to to uh, to train and highlight it for our uh, virtual case teaching. Yeah, and what I what I'm pulling out of this is the you know be very, so mindful of the differences in learning styles, the differences in the platform. You know, moving from in class to online, uh, creating and designing your class conversation, the questions that are asked, the tools that you're going to use it really requires some thoughtfulness and and taking the time for the the case user and and if you're thinking about writing a case including this in your teaching notes a great idea as well thoughtfully you know not just take it from in class to online and <laughs> the yeah. same think about it think about the tool think about how this is going to land in the in the classroom yeah. and this is really thoughtful advice for our for our listeners charles i know uh your your time is is valuable and i really appreciate all of the tips and advice that you've given in this. Uh, I think I'm going to encourage folks to listen to this conversation a couple of times because there's lots of great uh, advice for writing, 
for using in the classes and also how to go online, which is a huge question right now. Charles, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And uh, I, I hope and we should try to, to have another conversation like this in the future, almost like a, a, a volume two of the discussion. Uh, if you're open to that, that would be great. My pleasure, Matt. See, the case writing itself evolved over a period of time. Now, I think we are moving to the new era of education. So to some extent, how do we rethink and stuff? So more, my pleasure and I'll be more than happy to talk to you, Matt. Thank you for the wonderful job you and me If you enjoyed today's episode, subscribe to Decision Point on Spotify or wherever you listen. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to cases, resources, and more. Have any feedback? Send us an email at cases at iv.ca.